It is good to be with you. I appreciate you and Pastor Nathan extending this invitation. Always a pleasure to come and worship with you. Will you bow with me, please, for prayer? Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you might open our spiritual eyes and our heart, that we might come to see the love that you have for this church and the love that you have for this world. Lord, we stand amazed at the compassion that you have for us. We're grateful for that compassion and that love. Help us to understand your word this day. For we ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I invite you to turn your, with your, in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 11. A very short passage of Scripture. The particular version that I'm reading says, A word aptly or fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. This is the word of the Lord. It's interesting to recognize just how much of life is made up of words and the use of words. I did a little research recently and discovered that there are some, depending on the reference, some 250,000 up to 1 million words in the English language. Let's, uh, let's assume we're talking about, say, 500,000 words, and that million included words that were no longer used and, and the like. Well, let's suppose that we're talking about 500,000 words. There are some 6,500 known languages and dialects in the world. It takes the average child several years to learn as few as 1,000 of these 500,000 words found in the English language. Some people in their lifetime become articulate enough to have at their command as many as 30,000 of these 500,000 words in the English language. The gift of speech is both a fearful responsibility and a glorious privilege. One of the privileges that we can celebrate here in the, at the 4th of July is the, the freedom of speech that we have. Now, some individuals abuse that and misuse that, but we do have that freedom, and sometimes we take it for granted. Some people are known for their ability to use words. For instance, Patrick Henry is called the tongue of the revolution. Someone once wrote about the great orator Daniel Webster. His words were a song of triumph. Personally, I like the advice given by a fellow by the name of B.P. Spong. 
B.P. Spong has written, I think, some advice that we would all give, be wise to give heed to. I'm careful of the words I say. I keep them soft and sweet. I never know from day to day which ones I'll have to eat. I find it interesting to note just how much uh, the Bible says about words and the use of words. The psalmist said that, that our words are to be acceptable in God's sight. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Jesus said, men will render account for every careless word they utter. In my young life, I don't know that I have ever seen our country more divided than it is today. I don't know that I have ever seen more hatred and more venomous spirited post in social media than I've seen in these days. Well, one of the things that I want to caution us about is that we will give account of those words that we utter, whether we say them verbally or whether we write them out. We need to be careful about what we say. I, I'm astonished at some innocent post from, from time to time how people become so critical and so uh, vicious in their response to a seemingly, crit, uh, seemingly innocent uh, post. Well, the psalmist said that the words of a hypocrite are smoother than butter and softer than oil. Proverbs 29, 20 reads, A man hasty in speech is worse than a fool. And Proverbs 18, 8 says, The words of the whisperer are like delicious morsels. And Solomon said that a fool is known by his multitude of words. Well, the ancient writer of the Proverbs, in the verse that we read here just a moment ago, said a word fitly spoken, which means that a word uh, spoken at the right time and in the right way, is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Dr. Bernard Taylor translated that passage of Scripture in this fashion. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a basket of silver. Dr. Taylor related the statement to an ancient practice among kings. Whenever a state banquet was given, somewhere in that banquet hall would be placed a beautiful silver basket. And in that silver basket would be placed apples made of gold. And during the course of that banquet, those golden apples would be given to the guest as a memento of having been the guest of the king. And Dr. Taylor said, this is the idea depicted in this particular passage of Scripture. In other words, the right word spoken at the right time and in the right way is a thing of great beauty and worth, just as apples of gold in a basket of silver. I want to talk to you this morning about some words which fitly spoken 
are like apples made of gold and a basket made of silver. There are three such words that I want us to consider this morning. First of all is a word about Christ. A word about Christ. A word about Christ can be a word fitly spoken. Now, you and I have been around long enough to know that not every word about Christ is a word that is fitly spoken. I attend the Wednesday morning prayer group along with the gym and and a number of individuals. I point out Jim because he invited me years ago to, to come and join that group. And we have recently had to move from one restaurant to another, and in the place that we are now, even though we're in a room apart from the main dining area, and there is a wall there, there's a, a large opening, in fact, a, three large openings there, and we can hear the conversations occasionally of the people in the room next to us. And there's one gentleman, and I use that term loosely, there's one gentleman there, I have... I don't know that I have ever heard him use a sentence that he did not have profanity in it. And sometimes it's the Lord's name used in vain. It, it, it amazes me. So we know that not every word spoken about Christ and for Christ is a word fitly spoken. But the Bible emphasizes the fact that we, you and I, the believers, are to witness for Christ. This means that you and I are to testify for Jesus. Now a person can be a witness for Christ without ever uttering a word. A number of years ago before I retired from Hannibal LaGrange, my secretary gave me a plaque that reads, preach the gospel always and if necessary use words. It's a saying by St. Francis of Assisi, and I love the saying. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Our witness, our life is a witness to Christ. But I want to suggest to you that if we want to be an effective witness, we need to testify to audibly speak a word about Christ. The psalmist wrote, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he's done for me. What is it that we're to tell about Christ? Well, we're to simply tell people what the Lord has done for us. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale related a story in his early days in the ministry. On one occasion, as he approached the preaching hour, he found himself lost for words to say, and he was in a panicked state. So he contacted his father for counsel, and his father's advice was brief but brilliant. His father simply said, stand up and simply tell the people that Jesus can change your life. Jesus said as his last words to his disciples on earth before ascending into heaven, you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the age. The Bible emphasizes the absolute necessity of the child of God speaking a word on behalf of Jesus. Speaking out for Christ is something that all who know him can do. 
A person doesn't need a whole lot of theology in the head to testify about Jesus. All he does need, or she does need, is a lot of doxology in the heart, a lot of gratitude in the heart. There are some things that only those whom God has given the gift can do. Some can sing, not all can. Some can teach, not all can. Some can preach, not all can. Some can be a listening ear to those experiencing difficulty. Not all people have such a gift. But one thing everybody who knows Christ can do is to say a word on his behalf. It doesn't take a lot of knowledge of doctrine. It just takes a lot of delight in the Lord. Anyone can speak a word for Christ. Well, secondly, I would have you to look this morning and see a word about the church. Every Christian ought to be proud of the church. And there are several reasons why this is so. First of all, every Christian should be proud of the church because of the one to whom the church belongs. Aren't you glad that the church doesn't belong to the pastor? Aren't you glad that the church doesn't belong to the deacons or the elders or the trustees of the church? Aren't you glad that the church doesn't belong to the membership? You know, we frequently speak possessively about the church. We refer to it as our church and my church, and we don't mean anything wrong with that. And in all honesty, there's nothing wrong with that. But in reality, the church is not mine. The church is not ours. The church belongs to the Lord. And that says that our attitude toward the church reflects our attitude toward the Lord. For after all, it's His church. There's a Greek word for church, it's kuriakos, and it means belonging to the Lord. But secondly... Every Christian should be proud of the church because of the mission that it has. The church has the greatest mission in all of the world. The church has a place in society that is unequaled or unexcelled by any other institutions. Jesus asked of the church, proclaim the gospel throughout the world. What people do in business, in industry, and even in education will one day come to an end. But what we collectively do as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in fulfillment of the divine assignment given us will never come to an end. Well, thirdly, we should be proud of the church because of what it has meant in our own lives. I dare say that there's not one of us here who would be a Christian if it were not for the church. Now, the church did not save us, and the church doesn't save us. But it was the church, those who go to make up the church, who through the centuries diligently taught and preached the word of God, and as a result of that, we have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, it started a number of years ago. It was a game called Kick the Church. Many people participated in that game. Many Christians participated in that game. Many church members participated in that game. And it seems that everyone was playing it. Almost daily books and articles were being written about what's wrong with the church. Now, I'll agree there's some things wrong with the church. After all, it's made up of human beings. 
And as long as it's made up of humans, it's going to be imperfect. But some of the words said about the church were filled with venom and were intended to hurt more than to help. Many church people, as I've said, have played that game of kick the church, and they did so before an unsympathetic audience. What would you think about me if in the morning on Main Street of Hannibal or in some restaurant there in Hannibal, I were to begin to talk to just anybody who would listen about what's wrong with my wife? Now, first of all, there's nothing wrong with my wife. And, and you pass that along if you see her. But uh, uh, what would you think about it? You'd think about I, that I was about as uncouth and unchristian as a person could be, and you'd be exactly right. But the same thing holds true when you and I talk to just anybody who will listen about our spiritual family, the church. I came across a poem a number of years ago entitled Problems at Church. I think it speaks well of what we're talking about. If you should find the perfect church without one fault or smear, for goodness sake, do not join that church. You would spoil the atmosphere. If you should find the perfect church where all anxieties cease, then pass it by, lest joining it you mar the masterpiece. If you should find the perfect church, then do not ever dare to tread upon the holy ground. You'd be a misfit there. But since no perfect church exists made of imperfect men, then let us cease looking for that church and love the church we're in. Of course, it's not a perfect church. That's simple to discern. But you and I and all of us could cause the tide to turn. What fools we are to flee our past in the unfruitful search to find at last where problems loom. God proudly builds his church. So let us keep working in the church until the resurrection, and then we each will join God's church without an imperfection. A word about the church fitly spoken is like an apple of gold in a basket of silver. Well, notice third and finally, a word of commendation. We were speaking this morning about the Apostle Paul, and we were, uh, we were talking about, in, in, when I think of the Apostle Paul, I, I think in terms of a person who is very firm, very assertive. I don't usually think of Paul as being a <coughs> commending person, but interestingly, that was one of the characteristics of Paul. <coughs> He's a great example of speaking commendingly of others. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he concluded by commending several people in the church. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deaconess of the church at Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord as befits the saints and help her in whatever she may require from you, for she has been a helper of many and of myself as well. He said, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life. In every Pauline epistle, except the epistle to the Galatians, Paul begins on a word of commendation. Paul's practice was to find something good to say about someone and then to say that. Often you and I act just the opposite. 
After all, it seems to be much easier to condemn than it is to commend. It's much easier to criticize than to praise. It's much easier to push down than it is to reach down and pull up. The only exercise some people get is running other people down. A doctor once said, there are two things that are hard on your heart, running up hills and running down others. Now, I'm not saying that some people don't deserve criticism. Uh, there's not one among us who doesn't need to be criticized at some point in life. Parenthetically, for criticism to be correct, it needs to be done by the right person, in the right spirit, at the right time, and in the right place. And if you take any of those rights out, then criticism becomes wrong. And yet, at the same time, there is something good to be said about every one among us. It's a little hard to see in some, but it, it is true. I heard of a woman who had the reputation in her community of never saying anything bad about anyone. There were two fellows who were part of the community who were always up to, <coughs> up to mischief. <coughs> they decided one day <coughs> that they were going to make Aunt Susie say something bad about somebody. So they thought hard and they came up with their scheme and they approached Aunt Susie and they said, Aunt Susie, what do you think about the devil? She thought for a minute and then replied, well, you have to admit he's always on the job. If a person looks hard enough and long enough, you can find something good to say about everyone. One tragic fact in life is that we often wait until a person is dead and gone before we begin to say good things about them. Henry Ward Beecher, a great preacher of another day, once said, Speak approving, cheering words while your friends can hear them and while their hearts can be thrilled by them. The writer of the Proverbs said, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, or as one has translated it, like apples of gold in a basket of silver. Three such beautiful words fittingly spoken are a word about Christ, a word about the church, and a word of commendation. I want to ask you this morning as we come to a close, how long has it been since you, your speaking contained these words fitly spoken? Christ, the church, and others will not be to us what they should be if our life is not one of surrender and obedience. Will you bow with me as we pray? Father, we pray this morning that you would use your words to speak to our hearts and cause us to realize how much we have to, for which to be grateful Father, we pray that as we leave today, it is with a committed purpose and desire to share with those around us what it is that Christ has done for us, and that we would be of an encouragement to those we meet as we speak words of commendation, as we speak positive words about your church. We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.